You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to 2 Timothy. Um, we've been in a series entitled Send Me, and today is, is week four. As guys continue to pass out the baskets, don't, don't worry about that. That's just fine. Um, we've been talking about ways that you can, in fact, begin to serve, how you can get connected in ministry and begin to serve. That's what our focus has been. That's where we've been teaching from Scripture, been showing and encouraging you to be in that vein. Uh, Today is a little bit different. It's kind of one and the same, but it's also a little bit different because today is our commissioning service for Pastor Greg and his wife, Grace. For, For those of you that may not know, if you're new here, Uh, They are on their way to Washington, D.C. to plant a church, and uh, today we are actually sending them, praying over them, and by commissioning them, I simply mean that we are publicly affirming them and uh, blessing them and praying over them to go and to do this. So today uh, is their last Sunday with us at FC, and uh, I want to take some time to encourage and and, uh, bless them today, but I also want us to see from Scripture how what they're doing applies to to us as a church. And uh, specifically, we started this series with Isaiah and his call, Isaiah chapter 6, and we saw a formula for the way in which God usually works in the lives of people as he calls them. And we see this same formula in the life of Abraham, in the life of Moses, in the life of Paul, It's been true for me, and it's been true for you as well. And to kind of recap that, you remember that first and foremost, Isaiah had a vision of God. So he had an encounter with God. And that's always how it begins. God has an encounter with us. We experience his grace. We experience his holiness. we, We learn about him. We experience his power. And Isaiah experienced the holiness and power of God in that moment. And anytime you have an experience with God, One of the main results of that experience is, secondly, you realize how sinful you are. Because when you are in the presence of a holy God, when you get a little glimpse of his holiness, then you recognize just how sinful you are. So Isaiah says, woe is me, I am a sinful man. I I live among a people of unclean lips, and I am a man of unclean lips. And so we're made aware of our sin And then thirdly, God cleanses us. We have this experience with God. He cleanses us of our sin for Isaiah. And in the Old Testament, it was different than how he does that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, now post Jesus and post the cross, our sins are forgiven. Our sins have been atoned for, paid for on the cross through Jesus. And so when we experience this cleansing, when we experience forgiveness of our sin, It's through faith in Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection allows us to experience the salvation, experience this cleansing of sin. God forgives us, restores our relationship with them. He makes us a brand new person. Behold, all things in the past are old. Behold, all things are new, the scripture says. We've been regenerated. The scripture calls it a new birth. And God saves us, not just simply to say, all right, you're in, bro. Have a good life. Go make some money. Find a woman. Have some kids. No, he saves us for a purpose, a reason. He saves us to send us because life is not about you. Life is not about me. Life is about God. This is his world. This is his show. This is his dance. 
And our job is to figure out who he is and to follow his leadership in our life. And so he sends us. And so God says to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And so our calling in the New Testament comes from Matthew 28. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, go therefore. This is Jesus talking to us. We call this the great commission. This is the mission of the church. This is the reason why we gather here today. This is why we do what we do as a believer in Jesus Christ, just not just as Foothills Church, but as believers. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so this is what we're called to do. This is what you have been sent to do. You were saved to make disciples. And some of you are like, well, I don't feel like I am a disciple. Well, you aren't where you perhaps are going to be in the future. You are growing, but this is a journey. You know more than other people know. You've experienced more than others have experienced. And so your calling would be to help them get to at least where you're at. And then your calling is also to enlarge your circle, widen your circle of influence and put people into your life that will help you go from point A to point B in your spiritual life who will help you grow. Now that's on you. We have provided the means by which you can do that at this church, but you have to engage the process. And so making disciples is what you have been called to do, every one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, we believe that as a church, this is our mission, and we, we wanna do whatever possible in order to see this happen. So we'll do whatever we feel like God is calling us to do to see that take place. And one of those areas is church planning. We believe this is a, a means by which we can impact a community, create lasting change in a community and for the kingdom of God. It's, it's more than just showing up for short-term missions and doing some things and then leaving. While that's great, the greatest thing that we can possibly do for the kingdom and to change a city is to plant churches. And so as we focus around that concept today, we realize that we've been sent, but you've not been sent out there to be a Lone Ranger. You've been sent to partner with a church. And as a church, we are making disciples together. All right. And so my big idea for today as we think about this is that we need to send more people and plant more churches. This is what we are about. Now, planting a church, we've never done it. We are a church plant. But this has been an aspirational value of ours from the very beginning of our church, nine years ago. We wanted to be able to do this. This takes a lot of strategy. It takes a lot of energy. It takes resources. It takes a lot of structure. It takes people. It takes the right person. We're not just going to send anybody. We've got to send the right leader to do this. And so we've been in a process. We've been praying, God, we want to do it. We want to do it. We want to do it. And he's like, well, you got to grow, man. You've got some things to do. You've got, the church has to accomplish some things and move in some areas. And so we've been in this process. The same is true for you. You want to be somewhere and do something, but God's got to take you through that journey. He's got to take you through the crock pot. You know, it's not a microwave deal. It's a crock pot deal where you grow and you get to a point to where you can do the, the dream or the, the thing that God has called you to do. And so we have not been sent alone. We've been called to partner together and we as a church have had this value. We want to send people and plant churches. And so Pastor Greg and his wife, 
grace have felt this call to go and to plant a church specifically for them in Washington, D.C. And so I want to talk to you a little bit today why we want a church plant, and then we want to talk about them specifically. And so a, a few comments about church planting. Why do we want to plant churches? First of all, church planting follows a biblical model. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Look at the book of Acts, not just Acts 1-8 where Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth and, 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 and uh, preach the gospel. He specifically from Acts chapter 1 all the way to the very end in Acts 28, you see the early disciples preaching the gospel and planting churches. When Paul uh, goes to the city of Corinth, how does he impact that city uh, for the kingdom of God? He preaches the gospel and then he plants a church. Then he leaves. He goes to another city. He goes to a city like Ephesus. And what does he do in Ephesus? He preaches the gospel and then he, help me out, plants a church. Yeah. And then he goes to Thessalonica and guess what he does there? God, you guys are smart. I don't even need to talk about this. We already know this, right? He plants a church. And so if we're going to experience a impact on the kingdom of God that transcends our own personal sphere of influence that goes beyond mere time of a couple of years, but we want to impact generations, then you and I will rally around a strategy and we'll be intentional about planning churches because, guys, this is how God blesses and changes cities. It's through the church. And so we believe that we are here and, and ready. God has called Greg to do this with his wife, Grace. A couple of things about our country. <clears throat> One of the biggest problems in the U.S. is a lack of evangelistic churches. It's no surprise. In the South, we see churches on every corner. But the Southern Baptist Convention and their research shows that up to 80% of churches are either plateaued or declining. So they're not growing. They're not reaching people. They're kind of maintaining or they're dying. So a church on a street corner is not necessarily indicative of the gospel and the kingdom being spread, correct? Not to mention there are cities around our country who do not have Bible-believing, disciple-making churches present. George Barna is a leader of a market research firm, a firm specializing in studying religious beliefs and the behavior of Americans. He wrote an article not long ago called 10 Facts About America's Churchless. And he states this, the number of unchurched people in America would make the eighth most populous country in the world. His research shows that there are 156 million people in the U.S. who are not engaged with a Christian church. To put that into perspective, that 156 million people, if you put them in their own country, they would make the eighth largest nation in the world. We have much work to do. Instead of complaining about the government, instead of complaining about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket, help us plant churches. Help us send people into the mission field. Perhaps God would send you to the mission field. Population in the U.S. is growing rapidly. 
the millennial generation is larger than the boomer generation. Much research is out about them and the need to reach them with the gospel. The good news is in 2014, we planted 4,000 churches as a convention, Southern Baptist Convention. Bad news, 3,700 churches closed their doors. We need more churches. Where Pastor Greg is going, for every 25,000 people, there's one church. Think about it in this term, in, in this way. That would be one church for the city of Maryville. One church. We need more churches. We need to send more people and we need to plant more churches. We have the power of God in the gospel that comforts a prostitute, that redeems the egomaniacs, that revives the apathetic, that heals the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. His name is Jesus. We sing about him, we learn about him, we've got to go with him. We can't only go on short-term trips, we need a long-term strategic plan. And church planning is part of the solution. It's a biblical model. Secondly, we can never forget that as a church, our church, we were planted. So we are a church plant. For those of you that have come over the last few years, it hasn't felt like a church plant. For those of you that remember setting up chairs and tables and, and living out of a truck and not having an office and not having a building, you can remember. But for many in the room today, you don't remember what that feels like. But church planning is in our DNA. In reality, there were 23 faithful people from Third Creek Baptist Church well over 100 years ago who decided that they were going to plant a church in the Carnes community in Knoxville. And so they did, 100 years ago, planted this church. 93 years later, Grace planted Foothills Church. And we're here today because of their influence and because they were faithful men and women that planted Grace and that planted even Third Creek. And that planting strategy can be traced all the way back to the early disciples. Church planting is biblical. It's also in our DNA. We can never forget this fact. Thirdly, evidence shows that new churches grow faster. So in our culture, specifically in the U.S., we're seeing new churches growing faster. Ed Stetzer, former Lifeway research executive, said that in his church planting research and study, their study indicates that newly planted churches are more effective than existing ones at drawing people who aren't connected with a church. So that means newer churches are more effective in reaching what we would call unchurched, people that don't attend church or haven't gone to a church, or de-churched, people who maybe went to church when they were a kid, but then you know, haven't been in a really long time, and so they come back to a church like this. Many of you are in that situation. You weren't involved in a church. Maybe you were involved in a, you know, a, a, another religion, another faith, like you know, Catholicism or something else, and you decided to come to our church. Some of you went to church as a kid, um, got married, you had kids, and you were like, holy cow, we don't know what we're doing. We need God. And so you came back and you figured out this is the right place to be. New churches are more effective in reaching them. Churches under 10 years old grow at a faster rate. New churches grow at a rate of 16%. Our church experienced 30 and 35% at times, sometimes 50. New churches are more effective in reaching the unchurched and de-churched. So if we're going to make disciples, and we're going to do that here, we're going to do that in this city, but as we grow, our influence grows, 
as you grow, we have more leaders, we have more maturity in our church that can then be a part of sending. We can plant new churches and we can also, in our vision, we foresee us planting campuses. Now, a campus of Foothills Church would essentially be the same church, just in two locations. So if we planted a church in Knoxville, Foothills Church would be one church in two locations. A church plant, like we're doing with Pastor Greg, is an autonomous church, own vision, own strategy, own stuff. We're here to simply support and, and, and give resources to make that vision a reality. So a little bit different, but same, same mission of making disciples. So today, as we think through what it looks like, why we would do this, um, we come to Pastor Greg and, and we want to commission him. We want to commission he and his wife, Grace, uh, together. We want to pray over them, bless them, send them, and I want to encourage you to support them through this process. Um, first off, I, I feel like as a church, we need to affirm the fact that what we are doing is not just something that, hey, he had a good idea, go for it, man. This is well over a year that we've been praying and thinking and, and, and figuring this out. God has burning, burdened his heart for this many years ago. And so this is something that doesn't just happen overnight. It's something that's been in process for some time. And, and uh, today I want to affirm to you his competency, his character, his leadership ability, and most important, his commitment to the gospel. I've known him for 16 years. I met him when he was a scrawny eighth grader. I saw in an eighth grade kid a tenacity and a work ethic for the, for, for the game of basketball on the basketball court like I've not seen before. And what's been inspiring to me is over the years seeing that, that tenacity, that energy, and that passion be transformed into a man of God with that same energy, if not more energy and passion, for the gospel. He has a heart for Jesus and a passion to see other people come to know Christ. And so he's had his hand upon everything this church has been a part of to make disciples. Influence so many of you and your families to come to faith or to be baptized or to follow through and get involved in ministry. He lives and breathes the gospel. He doesn't have a lot of hobbies other than the gospel. He's got his family, he's got his gospel, he squeezes in some workouts every now and then. This is his life. He's got an unwavering commitment to this church and most importantly to the gospel. I think we've seen that evidenced in his work ethic, his personal study of prayer and scripture as we talk about it, as we meet and we discuss what God is doing in his life and in the life of our church and just in the life of, of leaders in our church. I see his heart for Jesus and his commitment, his writing skills, he's written two books, has all been about impacting and growing and advancing the gospel. He's got a great mind for strategy and process. Many of you may not know this, but as a church grows, it takes systems and processes to help all of these new people take steps in their faith. And, and, and so to be organized and strategic about this, man, he is a smart guy and has impacted this church in a huge way. His leadership ability over the Last six years, he's been here for six years. Um, he's led student ministry. He's led our mission ministry at times. He's 
also led our hospitality team, our children's ministry. He's led small group trainings. He's led small groups. He's preached. He's led journey classes. In that process, I'd say he's got a pretty good handle on what it takes to plant a church and to lead a church. He's, he's been through the gamut. I've asked him to step into all of those roles at different times and season, seasons of our church, not just because I needed somebody, but most importantly because I knew that he could do it. I had faith that he would accomplish it. I've seen over the last several months just his passion for D.C. grow. He's become a statistical nerd when it comes to Washington, D.C. Just talk to him for a little bit. His heart grows by the second for the people of that city. And so as, as God has placed this on his heart, his energy and passion for that city grows. And he's, it's not like that's his hometown or he hasn't even really been there that much up until the last couple of months. This is a city that God has placed on his heart. And as he's walked with Jesus and begun to pray about this and talk to other people about it, God has birthed and grown that heart and desire. You may have a great idea and want to do something and boom, let's go. But it takes a process for God to birth that. You want other people to affirm that calling in your life. You want other people, your pastors, your small group leaders to say, yeah, man, you would be good at that or you can do that. And, and so we've done that with him. And in front of you today, I wanted to assure you that this is, in fact, the case for him. His wife, Grace, has been a huge support. So in ministry, as a pastor, your wife can disqualify you. If you didn't know that. So it's not like a, hey, you're awesome, but your wife is terrible. It's like if the team isn't strong, then it's not going to work. Greg is half the man, or would be half the man that he is today without Grace's encouragement, love, and support, and for her own engagement in ministry. She's been engaged in children's ministry, student ministry, currently in the nursery ministry as our uh, volunteer director of that area. And so her love and support has, be, has, has been incredible. And so I would not send him if she was not on board with this. And she 100% is behind it and excited about it. Uh, she's a jewel, and uh, we love her. And Greg, I trust that you will honor her, take care of her, and never put her uh, underneath your responsibilities in your church. Over the last six years, God's done some incredible things in our church, specifically through Greg's ministry. And so a couple of things when we first started the church, I had about 10 students in the mall leading a Bible study on Wednesday nights, hardly a student ministry. Um, I prayed desperately that God would bring somebody to do that, and God brought Greg. And so he started the student ministry, and over the last six years, it's grown from nothing to existing, and now over 300 students. He's done an incredible job. Our children's ministry experienced much of the same growth. When he first came, maybe... 15 or 20 kids, mainly my kids, <laughs> in the church, and I uh, got so many of them. And uh, over the last six years, from 30 to now over 400 kids, he's built an incredible family ministry team so that now that he, when, as he leaves, um, people have asked, are we going to hire a family pastor to replace him? And the answer is no. At this time, that's not our greatest need because of the job he's done in raising his team, and, and they've done an incredible job taking ownership and leading well in those areas. Over the last six years, um, he's run and been a part of every major event that we've had. Um, he began in 2010, part-time, when he began as a student pastor, 
uh, finishing seminary, 2011, full-time working with students, working in our mission ministry. We called it Love the City and Love the Nations back then. He's worked his butt off tirelessly, not complaining. Even when he went through his own personal struggles from time to time, he kept this church and the gospel forefront. He's been for me my right-hand man, and for his work and ministry, I cannot repay him, but I honor you today for your life and your service here at FC. We've had some robust dialogue over the course of your six years. That's a fancy way of saying we argue from time to time. But it's a value that we have on staff because we want people to share their minds, share their hearts, and get it out there on the table. Um, and any time that ever happened, we always hugged it out and laughed about it later. He's challenged me to get better, and he's pushed me to grow as a leader. What's next for FC? Well, FC is now becoming a sending church. And what that particularly means is that for Greg, our elder team functions as his elder team until he establishes his own leadership team. It means we'll be approving his budget and we'll be helping him in the hiring process as that time uh, comes in the near future. It means that we will be financially supporting his church and as you give to FC, you are giving to his church. As we come to our Christmas offering, um, much of that will go towards his church. It means that we'll also be taking short-term mission trips to D.C. to help him uh, when the time is right for that. And so we encourage you to begin to pray about that. Also encouraging to know that over the last year, he's gone through the North American Mission Board's process to become a church planner. Many interviews, many assessments, um, including interviews with him and his wife. And going through that process, they've affirmed him as well. Uh, naming him an official church planner of the North American Mission Board and supporting him financially. Um, what this also means is by going through that process, we are not alone in sending him. The financial burden is not on us only. As a SBC church, as a uh, NAM church planner, um, he has had access to the thousands of other Baptist churches in our country to uh, incite support from them, encourage them to support financially. And so they would become a supporting church. We're the sending church. They would be a supporting church. And so by that, <clears throat> they support him in prayer. They support him in mission, sometimes sending short-term mission trips. They support him um, also financially. So when I say that we are partnering together to send him, we're also partnering with other churches to make this a reality. He's been doing an incredible job over the last few months uh, sharing vision, traveling around uh, the southeast, the northeast, um, encouraging, sharing this vision of planting a church in D.C. And many people um, have rallied around him and have already given and many, many more will give in the future. So the next thing for Greg and Grace is that they're, they're going to move to D.C. the last week of this month of July. Uh, not July yet, but the last month or last week of July they move and when they get there, they're going to do, by requirement of the North American Mission Board, they'll do at least a six-month residency at a church called McLean Bible Church. And uh, during that six-month stint, they will be getting familiar with the city, with the area. Um, they will focus on developing a core team. Uh, he'll continue to rally support financially for the budget. Um, and so over the fall and winter months, that will be his focus. 
And then in uh, the fall of 2017, uh, they'll be looking to uh, begin their first large group gatherings as a church. And so a lot more work has to take place. So again, I just want to emphasize the fact that these things don't happen overnight. You have a vision, you have energy, you have passion, and yet you have to walk the journey. This is what we've walked, and in your own personal life, you've got to be willing to walk this as well. Uh, I want to share a video for some of you that may not know them very well that will help you understand who they are and, and what they're about to do. Guys, will you go ahead and roll that? We are the Gibson family, and we are church planting in Washington, D.C. This is my wife, Grace. This is our daughter, Cora, and our son, Ivor. Cora, how old are you? Four. Four, that's right. And how old are you? Two. You're two? You did good. <laughs> that was good. That was awesome. <laughs> so as we began this journey um, through church planting with Foothills Church and with our elder team with DC, um, it's really moved pretty quickly. And so we visited DC last April, fell in love with the city. Um, we realized that there was a need for Bible-believing churches in DC. Less than 5% of the population in DC is a Bible-believing Christian. And so we sat down with Trent in July, kind of shared what God was doing in our heart as, as far as church planting in a strategic city. And, uh, and so he gave us permission, uh, for lack of better words, to pastor at Foothills and to pursue this process with the North American Mission Board. We sat down with our elders in December and they approved that, that Foothills would be our sending church. And from there, we announced our church in February. We've been moving pretty fast-paced since then. So this is a big transition for our family, and we would love for people to be involved with us, specifically to give us prayer during this time. Just pray that our transition into D.C. would be good, would be good for our kids and good for us. Pray that we would find favor in our community with leaders, with our neighbors. And there's several other ways that people can get involved as well. And so we are specifically praying for people to join our core team um, as we move in our, in our laser-focused prayers that we would launch August 2017. God is already bringing people to our core team to, to be able to leverage their lives to plant a Bible-believing church in, in one of the world's greatest cities. And as we wrap up our season here at Foothills, in one sense, we have just been reflecting on our Foothills family. Um, we have grown up in Foothills in a way. We've been here since it was a baby. Our marriage was a baby when we moved here. Then we had babies at this church. Um, and people, countless people, have poured into our lives and the lives of our children. And this is our home in so many ways. And we are unbelievably grateful. And we are so thankful for the leadership and our elders at Foothills. And uh, in a lot of ways, like Grace was saying, we've grown up here. I feel like I've gotten paid to learn the last six or so years, and we're excited to see God's work through Foothills Church in the city of Maribel and in Knoxville um, as we go to D.C. and be an expression of God's work um, through Foothills, and uh, we're excited to see um, what He has in store for our family and for Foothills Church and for the city of Washington, D.C. information. You can visit my blog. I've written a lot about church planning and, and we've got some videos on there to help you guys be informed about this. You can also visit Veritas City uh, Church, Veritas City Church, veritascity.org. 
to find out more. And then um, also sign up for his newsletter uh, to stay in the know. I want to close today with 2 Timothy chapter 4, specifically uh, focusing on a charge to Greg uh, in his ministry and grace as they pursue this. And also as a testimony to you and uh, applying it to our life as well today. This is Paul charging Timothy um, in his ministry to pastor his church. And he says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Let's just pause there for a minute to get the weight of this, this, uh, this charge, this, this commission, this, this challenge. Paul is saying, I am charging you. In other words, this is serious. This is your assignment. This is what you must rally around. This is of utmost importance. He says, my witness is God. So by the presence of God, and don't forget Jesus, who is our judge, in their name, in their presence, I'm calling you to do the following. This is a huge, weighty charge. It's a serious matter. Not only is it serious, but it's also giving us a sense of urgency, reminding us of the coming judgment that is before us. Christ will return. Judgment will take place. We do not have a lot of time here. We must be about the business of making disciples. Stop worrying about your little world and start worrying and focused on making disciples. And then he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He says, preach the word. It's essentially meaning preach the gospel. The gospel where the gospel has not been preached, preach it. Where it's not being received, preach it. Where people are still struggling with sin, preach the gospel. Um, if you've been here for quite some time, you've seen um, growth in me. Uh, you've seen growth in other pastors. You've seen growth in, in Greg, in his preaching and teaching. In the last couple of weeks, we're just like bombs. <laughs> just gr- incredible to see him preaching the word and affirming that, man, he is, he is called and ready to take this calling on um, in his own life. And, and he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, be ready to take whatever opportunity God gives to you. So you've got to be ready. How do you know you're ready? I want to be ready. I don't know if I'm ready. Well, you know you're ready for that next step when there are others in your life affirming this in you. And so as we affirm him today and have been over the last few months as we prayed and, and done this, that like we have spoken into his life as his pastor, leader, and friend. Yeah, man, you are ready for this. Other people in his life spoken into his life. His wife spoken into this. Yeah, you're ready. We are ready. I am ready. If she wasn't ready, they wouldn't be going. And so he is ready. And then as you're on the mission field, the same sense of being ready to take advantage of every opportunity, whether it's at the coffee shop, at the gym, for you it's at work, being ready to talk and preach the gospel, to share the name of Jesus and love of Jesus. This is what it means to be ready. 
to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That means where there is sin, it's time to correct. As we preach the gospel, what God calls a sin, we call a sin. We don't back down because culture says it's not a sin anymore or doesn't need to be a sin or we're okay with that now. We call sin what God calls sin. And so we correct, rebuke when that takes place in the church and also when there are unbelievers in our midst, we preach the gospel to them, challenging them to repent of sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, do this with patience. Excuse me. Patience. It takes patience to walk with the Lord. It takes patience to help people grow. If you're a parent, you've seen this with your two-year-old and three-year-old. You've got to be patient with them as they learn how to, you know, feed themselves and, you know, figure out how to use the restroom. And, man, you just want to pull your hair out sometimes. Can't you get this? Can't you understand it? It takes patience to raise a child. It takes patience to help a grown man learn how to submit himself to Jesus Christ. It takes patience to teach and show in Scripture and for the Spirit to work in a grown man's life what it looks like to lead his family spiritually, what it looks like to have a a quiet time with the Lord and and how to study the Word of God. We've ripped our hair out many a day wishing that some of you would just get it. Come on, man. But it takes patience. And Greg, in your ministry, it will take patience. It may not go as fast as you would like it to go, but God is in control. Verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. I think that time has come and will continue to be here where there are people that don't want to hear the truth, they want to hear things that make them feel good about themselves, and so they'll rally around those speakers, they'll rally around those teachers, they will even sometimes call themselves a church, even though they are not scripturally a church. So we must preach the word and be ready, whether the culture accepts it, whether the culture doesn't accept it. We preach for God, we don't preach for people to get accolades, to get pats on the back, We preach to honor his gospel and his kingdom. And then he says, verse five, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So much here to unpack, but I don't have time. Sober-minded means having the clarity of thought to do what God has called you to do and endure suffering because suffering will come. Suffering will take place, as he mentioned two weeks ago, following Christ where he has sent you is not a calling to safety. There's trouble, there's uneasiness, there's stress. And so we must expect suffering, and if there's not a sense of suffering, then perhaps we are not walking with Jesus. Not to say that we will always be in suffering, Because he will give us victory and he will allow us to overcome the situations that he faces in our life. But the idea is that we will and so we should not be surprised. He says, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, preaching the gospel, calling people to repentance. Sharing the truth of the word of God. Whether you're on stage in a church or you're at the coffee shop, you are willing and ready to share the gospel with anyone who 
would give an ear to it. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. What that simply means is execute it. Follow through. Do it. Over the last six years, what Greg said he was going to do, he's done. I've seen a consistent pattern of ministry given to him, objectives given to him, and him completing them on time. The discipline of execution is a discipline that each of us needs to embrace and work through. When the scripture calls us to fulfill your ministries, this is exactly what he's speaking to. When God calls you to it, he'll bring you through it. And so as he calls us to it, we stay, not until we get tired or it gets too difficult. We stay until he says, you're done. It's time to move on. And so execute the plan that he gives to us. We carry it out. And so I charge you to support him, perhaps go with him. Some of you may be praying through that. If you are not fit, feeling the call to move there, go with me on a short-term trip in the future to support. Support them in prayer. Support them financially as you give to SC, you're giving to them. And also support them by fulfilling your own calling. Because I'll tell you something, especially in the beginning stages, if we aren't doing what we're supposed to do here in Maryville, it's going to be a heck of a lot harder for him to do what God has called him to do in Washington, D.C., thousands of miles away, hundreds, I'm not sure. I'll Google it. That's not in my notes. So I close. Isaiah was called. God says, whom will go? And he says, I'll go. Where are you going to go? God's called you here. He's not sent you to be a Lone Ranger. He sent you here. So Join us, partner. Help us become everything God wants us to become. So sending men and women like Greg and Grace is just the first of many. And planting churches and starting campuses is just scratching the surface today. But it takes all of us to do our part. In the words of Hudson Taylor, great missionary, he said this, it will not do to say that you have no special call to go to China. With these facts before you and with the command of the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel to every creature, you need rather to ascertain whether you have a special call to stay home. Oh, that we would be a church. I would wrestle with the, are you calling me to stay home, God? Instead of wrestling with the call to go. Greg and Grace, I thank you for coming to Foothills Church. I've loved every minute with you and your sweet children. Thank you for going. Thank you for accepting the call of God. It's an inspiration to all of us. This won't be easy. It won't be safe. There are many challenges ahead. But oh, the joy of walking with Jesus and preaching his sweet gospel. 
the city that he makes your home. I don't want to send you, but I must send you. I don't want you to leave, but you've got to go. I wish that I could keep you forever in this church and all the other talented people that stare at me today. But bad things happen when you hoard talent. <laughs> bad things happen when you hoard in general. Have you seen that show? It's gross. If you hoard, it's a sign that something isn't right. <laughs> something isn't right at Foothills Church if we aren't sending people to the mission field. If we wouldn't, we don't, we'd become like the Dead Sea, dry, dead, crusty, weak, because we wouldn't know what it feels like to give our hearts to the Great Commission. And today, I feel like I'm giving my heart to the Great Commission. And it hurts, but it also feels really good. I want to close by praying over them today. And as a church family, laying our hands on them and commissioning them and asking God to bless and to move and to support. And so at this time, I would ask them to come forward and would ask our elders, our small group leaders, our other leaders to come around them, put your hand on their shoulder and pray over them. Because in fact, this is exactly what God has called us to do. And so, guys, would you go ahead and move as, as they're here and ready? I'll wait for you. When you come, go ahead and begin to pray, and I'll close us in this prayer. And then, we're going to close today with a, a hymn. Feel free to come and pray. You don't have to be a leader, a volunteer, preferably a believer. Father, we recognize that you are in control today. We recognize that your gospel and your mission are really the most important thing that we could wrap our minds around. As we begin to do that and experience your love and grace, it beckons us to go. It beckons us to send. And so each of us, God, I pray that you would help us to wrestle with that question. And I pray over Greg and Grace now this morning, Lord, that you would prepare the way for them, that you would open up the right doors, that you would show them the right opportunities. God, that they would have faith, grow their faith, Lord. Help them in this transition to meet friends that, will, can, that they will connect with relationally. Lord, I pray that you would grow their church, that you would send them the right core people for this core team begin this process together I pray for their children I pray for the, their salvation and I pray for them in this time of transition to feel loved and supported I pray God that 
that your hand would be upon them and anoint them in such a way that it is obvious to those around them that you are with them. So I pray, Lord, that you would change lives, impact people, build your kingdom, change lives. Your spirit would use them in an incredible way. Help us as a church family to support them and affirm them as they go through challenges and struggles. May we be faithful in prayer. May we be faithful with encouragement. And Lord, may we always remember that we are partnering together with you to accomplish this great mission. We thank you for their service and their ministry here. And we send them boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.